And that's one thing I'm thinking, right, I'm knocking on a bit now. But <laughs> if I get the right controls in the right order, perhaps, perhaps I might cling on to this, this sort of last vestige of hope that I might be um, the best in the world. And it's some sort of like weird, weird fascination. There we go. <laughs> knocking on a bit you're about the same age as me come on stop it (laughs) (laughs) hello there my name is kit rackley my pronouns are they them and this is coffee and geography the aim of the show is to get to know explore and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home and their love and passions of it we'll find out why guests identify as geographers and if they don't exactly we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography so pour your favorite brew get cozy and listen in oh and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on twitter at coffee jog hot off we go Hello, everybody. Third time lucky. Well, no, actually, I think if you've been listening now, and this is the third time, it's been going quite well. I'm very, very passionate and motivated to carry on. And I've got a fabulous guest with me um, this week. And it is, well, it's April Fool's Day today, 2021. As I say, I'm time stamping these for prosperity. But I'm being joined today by David Alcock. Hello, David. Good morning. Hello. Good morning, kids. David describes himself as afflicted by FOMO or fear of missing out. He does try to keep lots of plates spinning through teaching, reading, writing, family life, orienteering and fitness. But he says he's been inspired by loads of people that he's met, the places he's been and the books that he's read. And then to believe that the vast majority of humans are cooperative and that together we can make great strides towards a better life. And he says that we should build on our strengths to meet the huge game-changing challenges of the Anthropocene. And he would like to work with others in education and beyond to build on what we call grounds for hope. I love that. How do you come up with the term grounds for hope? What's hopeful for you? So what I find hopeful is stories about where people have overcome adversity to uh, to sort of improve their lives. And, and the original sort of starting point for this uh, was coming across uh, Hans Rosling in the, the Gapminder project. Not only the, the the graphs and stats on the website, but you know, watching some of his talks, which came, which made those stats come alive. And, and then a couple of his videos that basically showed real life stories of people overcoming you know, ch- you know, significant challenges and, and, and moving on, improving their, their lives, like, like the sesame seeds uh, farmer or the, 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 the family in Thailand. And, 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 and noticing how small changes happen normally for the better in many people's lives. That was my original way in. And, and I started to, to research perhaps why I hadn't taken that sort of message on board. You know, I, I'd taken on board some of the less hopeful trends in the world, and there are many less hopeful trends, but why hadn't I taken on board these more hopeful stories? Yeah, many, many people are not surprised to know and know already that I'm a huge fan of Hans Ros and the work that he's done. But uh, as as um, but there is a lot of talk recently and some necessary talk and some really, really good talk 
you know, criticizing the work that he that he has done and and maybe the narrative that that a lot of people say is portrayed. We want this podcast to celebrate kind of you and your connections to geography. So we, we, we won't go in through the debate on, you know, the pros and cons of Hans Rosing's approach and the gap mine and what they do. For me, it's all about how you apply, you frame the work that he's been doing. And, and I think, yeah, using him as messages of hope to make sure we avoid this kind of very, very old school kind of way of thinking of them and us to, to prevent this kind of way of thinking that everything is dire and people are helpless. Really like what you think, what you say about the grounds for hope, because we are a lot. I mean, this is what this podcast is all about. It's meant to be like celebrating the diverse, the diversity and the richness that we can, we all bring to this planet, no matter how small it is. So going, therefore, circling back to you yourself and your own little corner of the world, you are located just north of Bradford in Guiseley. Tell us a little bit about your your area, which is just south of the Yorkshire Dales. What does your place mean to you? How do you connect and identify with your place? And how, do, how does that differ from maybe other places you've lived, places you visited? I've connected with, with, with Yorkshire since I came up to uh, Leeds to, uh, stu- to study geography in the mid-90s. And, and I've lived here on and off in the late 90s and early 2000s. And then, yes, yeah, I settled in Guiseley about 15 years ago. And it's got a really good uh, mixture of being really near the countryside, really good to, to go for runs when my Achilles allows, uh, or bike rides. You can, you can get out in some lovely, peaceful areas. Um, and yeah, it's only a 14-minute uh, train journey into Leeds. It's also accessible for um, to, to my school in, in Bradford. And guys, is an interesting place. It's, it used to be part of, considered to be part of Bradford, but it's it's very near the sort of Leeds Bradford boundary, um, and from the train station, the the trains split. Some go to Brad, to Bradford, some go to Leeds, and it's um it, it's interesting. It's interesting to be a very interesting geographical um, location. Um, it's where a number of my friends have settled. The ones I went to university with in the nineteen nineties. Many of us have come back to Leeds and moved to. Or near Geisley, it's a really nice neck of the woods. This um, this this area here, sort of Leeds, Bradford in in general. Nice, yeah, and it's really really interesting because a lot of people say that about where I am in Norfolk. They say, oh no, once you've kind of moved from a different part of the country to Norfolk, people tend to not believe like kind of Norfolk is kind of like this this honeypot of of especially of young people. Despite which is really really interesting because because Norfolk is. Well, I, I wouldn't, diverse is probably not the way it works. It's actually quite polarizing in some respects, where some parts of Norfolk are kind of deeply, deeply conservative, and some parts of Norfolk, especially like Norwich, are very, very, very liberal. It's really, really interesting dichotomy. Um, but uh, do you get the kind of sense of that in the Yorkshire area? Is are things a little bit more, a little bit more homogenized in terms of the, the way that the mindset, or is it, or is that, or do you feel that there is quite a, a bit of um, a different like a stark difference in people's identities in people's politics because like because i'm looking at the map here and seeing where Geisley is located and like you're pretty much perfectly balanced between uh bradford leeds and that southern kind of southwest uh, southeastern edge of the yorkshire dales so what's the what's the politics like in, in Geisley? what's 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 other people's identities like in Geisley? it just seems like a really fascinating geographical location to me well in in terms of the sort of party politics and until about 15 years ago it was um one of the rare three-way seats in in britain there was um lib dems labor and conservative were were within a few thousand votes of each other um and now with the fall off of, of lib dems it's a very tightly fought labor conservative so you have got that in terms of 
party politics that it, it is it's sort of split. It's neither, you know, it, it's not a stronghold for, for either party. Um, in terms of identity, you do have people who, who have lived here uh, all, all their lives and you have some sort of um, um, incomers, if you like. And it's interesting, one of my students asked the other day, he said, I, I know we've, we've got to know about gentrification and studentification, but is there a term where used when people go to university and stay there? I said, I'm not sure there is a term, but but I had mentioned it at GCSE. I said, many of Leeds' population, because it's such a big university town, a bit like Norwich, many of the population move there to go to university and they've sort of stayed and they've sort of spread out in that northwest wedge. And I, I don't want to go all sort of Burgess and, and, and man model, but, <laughs> but there is a sort of wedge from Headingley out to the northwest hmm. where many, anecdotally, many of my um, ex-uni friends have sort of settled. So there is that mixture of the sort of the, um, people who've been here for a while and may have gone elsewhere and come back and those who have sort of wedged out from the um it's not a great word is it but um wedged out from the um the sort of student quarter um it, it's an interesting uh interesting mix interesting mix of uh, people and there's a lot of pressure the usual sort of pressure on uh, should we build the houses here and there's, and there's yeah. the added the added aspects of Leeds Bradford airport which is only five miles away and they just the council just voted to expand it. Okay, and there's, there's me with this dichotomy. You know, I've experienced a lot of you know travel before, um, a bit less so in in in, in recent years. But and I've taken students abroad. And I'm thinking, well, I benefited from air travel, but I'm now more aware of the damage that climate change has, has brought. And what would I have voted for if if I was to vote for this? Would I deny others the chance to see the places I've been? And 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 how do I um weigh up these issues in my mind and that that's it's, it's not split along party lines basically there's been mm. lots of discussions um anyway so that's one more geographical element of, is that we have got airplanes over much of the time not the last year well you see that's 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 exactly why i asked that question that's really really fascinating and because when we all break down political barriers and kind of get off get out of our tribal kind of sense you actually see that there are so many so many issues which are quite, quite galvanized people on all sides you know of the political spectrum you know for one way or the other and and that's that's why i asked because and it just goes to show how geography can influence politics and 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 vice versa so that's really interesting and i i kind of love how the i mean i have the same kind of feeling here i mean i'm originally from harlow and essex and we've just got St- you know stansford airport up the road so obviously there's been the same the same discussions um regarding the expansion of Stansford, which which currently is is you know being put on hold because it was one it was part of the bid of you know whether it would be Stansted or Heathrow or Gatwick or this new Boris Island airport. So the same debate and arguments happen happen there. I, I usually ask this question first, but because of where you're located, I'm asking it now. So you're in Guiseley, you're in Bradford and Lees, and I I'm I, I I'm a tea drinker. I love my Yorkshire tea. It's that's my favourite favorite tea I, tell, I swear to god they're going to start paying me now they have to start paying me if you're listening yorkshire tea, you've got to start paying. that's the third time i've mentioned you now um so are you drinking yorkshire tea or are you a coffee drinker and what are you drinking i'm a coffee drinker i'll i'll drink once a tea every now and again to be to be social but um it's got me coffee but i'm actually drinking it out of a um a world challenge um it's called teacher 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 that's <laughs> their, that's their so I did a couple of World Challenge expeditions, like building on my um, experience um, in terms of all uh, the conflicted climate change um, experience. But so it's it's in a big tea mug. Gone down the that down the road, I've gradually shifted from the you know the instant coffee to the ground coffee to the grind your own coffee. But but I am sticking to a Yorkshire brand. But it, it, the Yorkshire brand, nothing special. It's Morrison. So basically, it's Morrison's 
uh, Italian style roasted coffee beans. Interesting. Um, Rainforest Alliance certified, but um, nothing special. So that's my kind of uh, parsimonious nature. Yeah, I don't, don't want to spend six pound on a on a, <laughs> on a sort of single blend, but it also um, supports a Radford based business with um, nice. Morrison's. But I don't even drink that on an average term term day morning. I'll be spooning out the instant coffee. Um, <laughs> you can't be blamed for that. Yeah. The freeze dried coffee, yeah. Because, but my plan is is as along with a map of along with a map of um, of guests, I'm hoping to map everybody's brews. So and how that's oh. connect. So so uh, so hopefully by the time this goes out in the summer, the the people listening to this will look at the map of guests and tell me, Kit, you're not having enough people from this part of the world. And I know I'm working on it. I'm really really hard to get as many people from around the world as I can. And um. And but also a map of the brews that they are drinking and how that connects everything, so that when we can have a bit of, I don't know, we could bit of GIS it maybe or something. Well, to to, to add to that, I've, I've got to say this isn't going to help because it it doesn't it says it's a blend. It doesn't say it doesn't say which countries it's. He it doesn't even say which countries. It's I know. From. Now that's a shame. It does it, but it must be somewhere. Um, but you can always map Bradford tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If if anything says blend, I mean, I mean, like some yeah, websites yeah. do actually say where their blends come from and like do a great job on that. So I think I'm going to have a, and it might actually be a challenge for any of the listeners. Is that is that the reason why mentioning the brands and everything is is not meant to be a way of trying to encourage sponsorship, although. I am doing this out the goodness of my own heart at the moment, um, but it is a good way of maybe of, of if we mention this and the listeners can go and investigate for us, that would be amazing because I just want to give a shout out, for example, one model that that really works very, very well. And I do want to give a shout out to it because it's worth for everybody interested in geography to listen to it. Is that one of the podcasts I listen to is the is the BBC Digital Planet. It is a fantastic, fabulous. So shout out to the folks at BBC Digital Planet. I'm going to try and get them to listen to this if I can. And it's just amazing kind of like short little snippets about, you know, tech and ICT. But almost always there's a geographical link with this. And what they do is that they have a listener Facebook group and of course they have a Twitter account and they do build lots of lovely discussions and the listeners investigate things. And then sometimes Gareth Mitchell and the other host, hosts do actually pick up something the listeners have been talking about and then use it in their in their, um, in their radio show and their podcast. And, I, and that's the kind, I want to get to that point. I'm probably years away and so many subscribers away from getting to that point, but that would be amazing if that's where we get to. We'll hear about you, David. So tell me again what your mug says, because that's the segue into the next thing I want to talk about. So what does it say on your mug again? Remind us. You mentioned something about a world championship or something like that. Well, on the mug, it, well, world challenge it was. Oh, so world challenge. Yeah, the, okay. The, yeah. yeah. So I did three expeditions with them where I um, went with some young people from uh, the previous school and... Um, to one was to Ladakh in northwest India, and one was nice. to Brazil. And uh, the last one was a, a, a shorter one to, to Morocco. And um, yeah, they, they they run expeditions and they do community projects in the countries they go to. Uh, and that's that's where that came from. So nice. it's a ten year old mug, probably twelve year old, perhaps. Because I picked up on so world chat. Okay, I'm go, I'm going to really it's a loose segue then, but I'm going to manage it right yeah. because we're going to do. Spill the beans now. And that is you are going to tell us about that you tried to enter as many world championships in the UK as you could in one year. So I want you to tell us a little bit more. I want you to spill the beans on this, David. 
what kind of world championships were you entering? And, and you say you only managed a handful, but come on, tell us a little bit more about this. What did you try and enter? And some of the wackiest kind of like ones would be fantastic. But what did you actually manage to do there? I, this is perhaps 13, 14 years ago and thinking, what can I do this, this summer? And I thought, right, let's list a few things that I might be all right at. Um, and some sort of wacky things and thinking it'd be good to be world champion at something. So I'm, I'm not uh, especially skilled at anything. So I had a look and I, I went down to, to Derbyshire for the, the World Toe Wrestling Championship. Um, <laughs> and um, I, where you, you interlock your big toe with someone else's big toe. Um, and then I also went to the World Quizzing Championship and that, so met uh, people like Nicholas Parsons who just, just passed away in the last 12 months, and a few people who were who, who were guests on things like Eggheads. And one thing I have done in the recent, in, in my history, is uh, I was on the university challenge team for Leeds University in, in 1999. Oh. Um, and so I thought, right, I'll, I'll have a go. But I, am, I, I was blown out of the water. I think I was like 87th or something you know, in this world championship thing. Um, basically by world championship but all, all they're doing is they're just putting this name on it and everyone was from Britain apart from two or three people um, <laughs> a, bit like, a bit like the world championships baseball in the United States I guess oh is that yeah 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 <laughs> world, yeah, the ice hockey or American football world or, series world series yeah 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 that's exactly that that kind of thing um, toe wrestling that's amazing toe wrestling and then what was the other one the other one that I did um, there's still a champ there's something called row gaining so I'm I'm not a good runner but I, I like orienteering. and I like the, the sport of you know, finding a way around a map as quick as you can. And there's something called row gaining and it's, it's 24 hours. You visit as many checkpoints as possible. So you basically step over a line, you get the map and you just go for it. And there is something called the World Row Gaining Championship. But, and it was in America last, uh, last year. Um, I've never done it before. And that's one thing I'm thinking, right, I'm knocking on a bit now. But <laughs> if I get the right controls in the right order, Perhaps, perhaps I might cling on to this this sort of last vestige of hope that I might be um, the best in the world, and it's some sort of like weird, weird fascination. There we go. <laughs> Knocking on a bit. You're about the same age as me. Come on, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, you're going to have to keep everybody up to date with that because I, f- I think you need to get back to that when things open up. Has there been? Any, is it wonder? Is there any virtual quote unquote world championships that you could? Um, that you could enter, I don't know, World Championship, Google Jamboard jamming or something. I don't know. Well, I've read, I mean, about the the, other, the International Geography Olympiad. I, I've never been involved with that at all, but the idea that there's, there's an Olympiad uh, where you almost like stretch geographical brain. Everyone's got their niche. Everyone can create their own World Championship and be the best um, dot, dot, dot that they can be. Well, this is true, actually, isn't it? It's the same with... Um with like the Guinness Book of World Records and they encourage and they say look if, if a world record does not exist for something you can create it and like so everybody can actually hold a Guinness World Record if they find a niche so yeah people listening um, what is kind of like the weirdest kind of like Guinness World Record that you that we can find there you go it's a challenge for everybody there might be some people who know that okay cool i didn't know that you were on university challenge um, one of my ex one of my ex geography students actually who is like absolutely incredible was on university challenge actually this academic year so shout out to tom hi tom for at the uh, university of cambridge i've forgotten what college he's in now but trouble is is that um, I'm, i've already disowned him because 
he took history instead of geography. Yeah, but hey ho. But he is like one of the most. Fa- his knowledge recall is incredible, and he was on our Worldwise quiz um, teams for the school that yeah. I used to w- work at. So for those of you who don't know what Worldwise is, basically it's it's um, basically it's it's a geography quiz between schools and a championship, and then if you win your region, you go through to the national finals and stuff like and stuff like that. Although we never did go to the nationals because they were just just the logistics didn't work which was a shame but we we beat the rival private school three years in a row greshams who win it every single year we beat them three years in a row simply because tom was on the team yeah and and it was a massive celebration with the other team members who were amazingly intelligent and brainy as well you know would get in and answer a question as well so between them they were like the most epic like team ever and so yeah so tom was on university challenge and it was really really good and he was the captain of the team so well done tom congratulations um i think they they did they did go out unfortunately like the third round or something but like one of the highest scoring rounds like between two teams or something what i can remember is i didn't answer anything on the live show at all <laughs> so this is this is the big embarrassment now um we we got about 115 points, but I played my part in getting the team to TV. So we, you went you went to Manchester. Oh, it's qualifiers, you, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. You, you, you do a written version in control conditions, and then you go to Manchester and do a um, you go right against two or three other universities, and then you go on. So I, I pulled my weight then, but on the actual <laughs> big day, oh, the, the 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 questions were wrong. So um, no, it's it's an embarrassment as well as a um, oh, no. achievement if you like, but. Um, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I f- yeah. So, a lot- okay, a lot of people don't therefore appreciate kind of like what you have to go through to get there. A bit like it's a bit like the football or soccer over here, where where you go through all these qualifying rounds before you even reach the the yeah. third round or something. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well done for doing that. I mean, that's something I I, I was on the polymath team at high school. So that's about as close as I ever got to university challenge. So well, that's I like the term polymath. I, I love the term polymath and there should be more polymaths. And you read about people yeah. in history and they say they were a polymath. I'd love to be a polymath. It's just, it'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? But, um, yeah. I think knowledge has spread so much and there's so much to know that you're like desperately scrabbling around and trying to pick up threads of stories, but you can't know it. And that's a, just a bit of diversion. That's a big, big challenge, I think, that geographers have and geography teachers. Oh, my my last school, I taught both sides. Of, I taught every geography lesson. It was a really small school physical and human everything mm. and that was a challenge to keep on top of it even now i'm just doing most of the human and the synoptic papers to excuse the digression but this is a real challenge i think geography teachers along with politics teachers we have a real challenge keeping on top of stories because yeah. and news and, and and data and 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 no wonder we sort of fall out of kilter sometimes fall out of kilter with with the trends that are happening in the world when yeah yeah, we've got textbooks produced before Trump came in, before Brexit was um, was finalised. Um, I've gone off on a digression, but this no, is it's... The, the idea of a polymath is sort of what geography teachers have to be. And um, yeah, I totally yeah. agree with you. And 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 I know there's there's if there's any geography, I've, 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 it's a it's a bit of a shame now that we voted to call this this podcast Coffee and Geography because I don't want to be turning off people who don't subscribe to geography. But I'm really, really hoping that people understand that it is, you know, a diverse interdisciplinary subject and which can bring in everybody in some way, shape or form. And I'm trying to get people who feel they're non-geographers onto the show. So if you're listening and you think I'm not a geographer, even more of a reason for you to come on and, and let me know that you want to come on. As David just said, because 
in I know in the United, you know, with my knowledge of, of the education system in the United States, I know that they teach what we teach very, very differently. They do silo it. They do um, natural sciences, environmental sciences, social studies, humanities. They actually do separate. In fact, a lot of what we teach, especially physical geography, is in their science curriculum. So it's very, very different. And whenever I talk to my USA uh, friends and family and tell them what I teach, I say I teach geography, they immediately think, you know, maps and places, which is, of course, the stereotype of what geography is. But then when I describe to them exactly what I do teach and I run off those list of topics. So, you know, I say, you know, globalization, development, uh, tectonics, natural hazards, you know, weather and climate, biomes. I start going down. all these. They, they, they should say, well, you just teach everything then, don't you? Yeah. And I said, yeah, not only do I have to teach all these subjects, I have to teach how they interrelate and interact and intersect with each other as well. <laughs> and what and what that means for society and how society has shaped those things. So it's it's a fascinating subject. So when I when when we have our bit of our, our banter with our colleagues, our teaching colleagues about, oh, yeah, you teach history, you teach PA, you teach. I actually realized quite early that that kind of banter did start to rub people up the long way, because I think from the outside looking in one one next colleague said to me, you're a lovely person, Kit, but we do get a little bit annoyed when you just keep talking about geography, geography, geography all the time. And and I don't, you know, and I love my ex-colleagues and my colleagues to bits, so I don't want to be upsetting them. So I then kind of just flipped it and I said, okay, this is how like geography supports what you're doing. And I was like talking about, I then I changed the narrative in that respect. And then it was a lot, lot better to sell the things I wanted to do, like cross-curricular projects and stuff like that, because I was talking about, well, geography can support you doing this, rather than saying, what you're doing is geography. <laughs> I am going to now move on to um, the next bit. So speaking about community, uh, one thing I try to do on this podcast is for people who necessarily haven't thought about being a guest or or uh, don't want to be a guest, that's fine, um, is that I still try to plug people. One of the things that I'm going to do here is that I'm going to plug someone's blog um, and then we're going to talk about it, talk about one of the entries in terms of uh, a, well, a significant geographical um leap forward in in knowledge or event in time and then what you've got to do david is that we've got to discuss it and you've got to try and guess about what roughly what time did this take place okay so my um so we call this um jog your memory this week i'm going to be plugging uh david priest hello david if you're listening and david's um blog which is uh dr priest that's d-r-p-r-e-e-c-e dot home dot blog and david does a lot of commentary about the teacher profession the geography teaching profession but does also does also talk about um topic-based stuff as well and um one thing that i read a while ago and i've just looked back up again a bit earlier is how david teaches about arid environments and he does these kind of things quite a fair bit where he talks about how i teach this how i teach this how i teach this as i was running my eyes down now i noticed something that i love as someone with a meteorology background and a climatology background and that's something called the koppen geiger climate classification it is a thing of beauty and if um, go and look it up i'm not going to try and describe it over a podcast it's called the koppen geiger climate classification but basically in a nutshell it's where you say things like oh this area has a temperate maritime climate this area has a mediterranean climate this but it's so much more complex and detailed than that it's it's a thing of beauty so david what i want to discuss with you therefore is that why do you think this person um who was uh, you know koppen any any so I think it was uh, Vladimir Koppen, I think his name is, and the climatologist Rudolf Geiger. So why on earth did they 
get together to produce this real complex map of climate zones do you think what why is it important from a, from a geographer's point of view okay i think the purpose might be for uh, to, to to work out which crops and which animals could be farmed in these areas so very much a a, a kind of anthropocentric uh, usage is my guess um if not it could be some kind of naturalists uh, classification it's i mean yeah the app the application i mean why do scientists and you know climatologists do this kind of thing usually it's for some kind of application yeah and um i mean i've been talking about the reason why you would you would use this kind of map is actually more important than than their actual motivation i mean for 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 myself who's worked with scientists sometimes they do it because they do it and then they and then they let the people who want to apply it run with it but but yeah i mean if you look if uh, for those of you who can picture have got it up there or can picture it like for example if you look at the if you look at the united states you can see that it's it's fairly it's fairly homogenized there on on the on the eastern side there's only really two classifications there but then when you get towards the west united states when you've got the influence of the mountains and you know the coast of the pacific and then the climate which comes down from the from the canadian arctic and then comes up from you've got such a myriad of 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 climate zones there and um and like when I was living in Colorado for a little bit, and it was quite incredible how all these like play against each other and, and how it can swing weather very, very rapidly from one to another. There was there was one time in Colorado where it swung uh, about, I think, 30 degrees Celsius, you know, from one day to the other. So it was like very warm and sunny one day and then it was snow the next day. Wow. So, yeah, um, but it is a bit of beauty. So I, I would say that I'd say it'd be quite good for 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 looking about the kind of macro scale side of agriculture um probably we could tie it into a population like where the population density is and how it might infect, affect kind of where people live and maybe migration patterns right so not nice little bit of thinking there so question for you is then um when would this when do you reckon this took place when did they come up with this classification i was going to say from the original Cup and Geiger, it sounds like a sort of a Victorian pairing, yeah. um, <laughs> um, but they wouldn't have had the access to all the areas or the data, I don't think. So um, possibly, yeah, possibly sort of post-war at some point. Post-war. You, oh, you were, you were, this, this is what, this is why we do this because it's so surprising. So not too, that's not bad at all with your initial thinking, right? 1884 this ah. this came out yeah so so you were right actually to start with and it wow. and i think i think actually but when you said your follow-up about oh maybe they didn't have access to x y and z well it actually just goes to show that that if you've if you've got the data and, and you you're the knowledge of like in this case like of weather and climate patterns then you and then you've got your topographical maps you can figure out quite accurately you know things like your, your climate zones it, despite the fact you might not have visited all every single place and i very much doubt that Coppen or guy had visited you know mongolia and had, and had noticed that there are at least three maybe four climate zones in mongolia you know but it's very accurate and it's still quite used quite today and then you can you can look at climate graphs for each of these places and see how they match up with the climate zones it's very very good anyway so that's just a bit of a side um and and just to log, log it back to uh so david so so david priest uses that map to kind of look at the uh, the arid environments and, and desert biomes by looking at the climate classifications um, that have very very little annual rainfall. So there we are, a little bit of interest in there. So hi David, hope you're listening. <laughs> 
Okay, David, so we're going to come into the final stretch now because unfortunately we're running out of time. Is there anything else you would like to talk about or anything you'd like to say a little bit more? Yeah, I, 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 developing the Hopeful Education uh, Initiative and my thoughts about that all the time. So if any of your listeners have got any insights from books or articles or things their students have said or any sort of take on how we can be hopeful about the future without being complacent mm. about the future, that I, I, I would love this opportunity to um, sort of reach out and see what thoughts teachers have had or young people have had about about this this idea of, of hope without being complacent and, and, and without supporting the status quo but, yes. but whilst realizing that there are elements of today's society that can help us improve as um, and flourish as humanity so huge complex area but it's it's what I think about mm a lot and I'm, 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 I just asked that that's the one sort of call out I'd like to to make just to get more voices involved and, 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 and more thoughts and more to, to be challenged because my ideas have moved over the, the years particularly in the last two or three years since I've started this project they've been moved and challenged and that would be that that would be great Kit if, um, yeah. if any listeners got in contact with any ideas and prompts and what am I doing and what works well Awesome. Yeah. And at the very end of this podcast, we'll, we'll, you'll get your social media um, profile name out there so people can contact you. Um, yeah. And I totally subscribe to that. And one person I really would love to get on, on the podcast is someone called Clover Hogan, who, who does amazing work trying to empower young people into, in, and she calls it to move them from climate anxiety to climate agency using the power of positivity and using, and using positive voice and that's something which i'm deeply passionate about because I, I i believe that for example climate change is a safeguarding issue and then one of the way to to promote protective factors and reduce this risk factors of of that is to promote positive um, voices and change to say look hey we can we can um use hope to deal with this crisis so so totally subscribe to that and please please everybody yeah if if you're if you're listening and you've got some examples there i want to support david that please do get in touch and his social media tag will come very shortly right so we're going to finish off now with with a bit of a challenge so i'm going to um, keep my time on here because we are going to have 30 seconds to try and see if we can link a topic to geography that was set by our previous guest which was Catherine Owen and Catherine Owen thought she'd play dirty play nasty so what she thought she get she took a history topic for us and this is what we've got a link to geography and we've only got 30 seconds to do it okay so are you ready for this topic yes we can do it we can do it we can do it right the topic is the battle of hastings 30 seconds Go. How can we link that to geography? As far as I can recall, involved uh, a, a a hill and yeah, there was a marshland in front of the hill. Marshland in front of the hill. That's a protective barrier. And we had the idea of if you're on a hill, all right, we do this in the geography of conflict at, at, at school. So yeah. um, the hill can be great because you've got good visibility and you can you've got oh, your yeah. arrows can fly further but it can be isolating you can be trapped up oh, by the other forces it's hard in 30 seconds yeah yeah especially when you haven't thought about it for a bit so when we do sight and situation in geography one of the factors is is it a defensive point so and that's exactly yeah okay i think i think we got it i think if we had 60 seconds we would have nailed it nailed it 
But um, I think we've done a good enough job there in 30 seconds. And of course, we didn't get to talk about how the fact that it actually shaped like, you know, the, the, the demographics and, and the culture, you know, obviously. And, and then given the rise to certain place names because of, yeah. So I think we could have gone on a bit more. Oh, okay, I'm cheating now. Shut up, Kit. It's been 30 <laughs> seconds. All right. That's amazing. Right. So what do we think we should use then to kind of try and stump the next guest? So what topic would you like the next guest and I to try and link to geography in 30 seconds? I was going to uh, use the word hope itself and see how oh, they could yeah. they could move on with that word. Well, why not? So that is what is one option. It's yep. something that I spend a lot of time thinking about, but will it be something that they can attach to their speciality or Lovely. their interests? And that would be interesting to see. They might, they might suddenly riff and say, I could talk all day on this, yeah. like me. But if you can hit them with that, that would be interesting i love that i'd listen in i'd listen in something a little bit more abstract but yeah i really do like that and why not and why not okay that is absolutely fantastic david so um first things first um can you please let us know how people can get in contact with you via social media i have a twitter account at david alcock one and the hopeful education account is at hopeful ed ed and I do write occasionally on alcock.blog. So alcock with one L. Yeah. And they're the, that, that's the, the one platform that I, that I use. And uh, do you have uh, anyone you'd love to give a shout out to? Anyone at all? Um, just the, the whole geography community, the, the whole rich, varied geography community. Daniel Whittle has been a real help and inspiration in the last few months. If I was going to pick pick one person, it would be him from recently. Oh. But it is that's your toughest question. Yeah, it really is. Pick out one person to shout out to. Dan, if you're listening, you've got a lovely little shout out there from from David. Okay. David, thank you so much for joining me on this um on this April morning. I really, really do appreciate it. Um and Godspeed with your hopeful geography. Thank you, Kit. Yeah, thanks for having me on and thanks for this uh, great initiative. And I'm looking forward to hearing some of the other guests as they join you and um, join the airwaves. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.